It is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. This is the LDS Live Podcast. I am Kevin Williams, the Blind Montana Man. I am solo today, but that's all right because we have plenty to talk about. We're going to start off by talking about my new podcast, Canning Plus 7. I have done two episodes. One of them is a part two episode. One of them you've actually heard on the LDS Live podcast with Steve Manson. I just modified it and edited it down so that uh, it would be more conformative to the Canning Plus 7 podcast. And there are several reasons why I am going into this new podcast venture. As I said, I decided that this podcast will be up for another year. However, there is a caution to that. If I don't produce much between October 5th and April 5th, I may take it down. But tentatively, it will be up for another year. Let me just warn you, I may not be putting much emphasis into that because I'm putting more emphasis into the Canning Plus 7 podcast. Now, I know that I have uh, told you before how this podcast came about. But when I told you that, it was so long ago, maybe I should tell you about how this podcast came about. And I'm not going to give you the long, long version of the podcast history. But we have to go back to 2003. No, to, well, um, no, we have to go back to 2004. In 2004, there were a group of people... And this started before 2004. In fact, I knew about it at the very end of 2003. But I can say in 2004, there were a group of people who were doing radio shows over the phone. And yeah, they actually had a regular telephone or a cell phone that they were doing radio shows on. And you would dial into a phone number, enter a four-digit code or whatever, whatever password you set up. And once you got in there, you could do a radio show. That wasn't the intent. I'm talking about a voicemail system called Laser. There is a Laser voicemail system out there, and I don't know when it was when it was a when it came into existence, and I don't know how long it lasted either. Because I remember dialing into my old phone number once where I did a radio show on the Laser voicemail system, and it did not exist. It didn't bother me because my show was long gone by then anyway. But that's where it got, that's where I started was the laser voicemail system. Now, many of you know I've had a heavy interest in radio since 1987. But as far, if you want to talk about how did this podcast get started, well, I'm going to take you back there. I used to do a show called The Kevin and Jason Show. And we would debate different uh, political issues. We would debate. Uh, different things. Sometimes we agreed on things, sometimes we didn't. The first show was about Michael Jackson, actually. Yeah, I'll try to do the best Michael Jackson voice I can do. I tuck them in at night. I read them bedtime stories. It's beautiful. I wish everybody could do that. I know I'm not quoting it exactly, but that's basically what it was verbatim. His BBC documentary. 
you know, he would feed them cookies and hot milk. Um, anyway, that's the show that, well, that's the, where we started. And then, uh, like I said, I, and then, uh, you know, Jason and I would debate different topics. I was on the right, he was on the left, although there were times where we actually agreed with each other. And so that was good, and I had a good time doing that show, and then I went to Louisiana uh, to get training on how to deal with being blind, and that show went on hiatus. And when I came back, I resumed the radio show, but with a different name and a different purpose. Well, then, uh, in 2006, it would have been, I'm thinking probably in February of 2006, another friend of mine alerted me to, well, I shouldn't say alerted me, but told me about a website that is no longer in existence called Gcast. Gcast was Gcast, just letter G and then cast.com. I don't know who owned it. I, I actually assumed it was open, it was owned by Apple because it was catered to bands and you could make a podcast and uh, had an iTunes link that you could subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and um, all kinds of things. So I took advantage of it, and I still did it over the phone, but what I did is I called into this phone number and entered my password and started doing radio shows, and then I'd have to go in onto the website itself and mix it all together because I had to make it into a playlist. And gosh, was that a pain? But that's what I had to do to get it published because it was made for musicians, and I just took advantage of it and just made a playlist out of whatever I was talking about. You know, the computer would interrupt me after about 20 minutes or so, and then I'd save it to a playlist, and I'd have to go on the website and mix it all down into one playlist and put it up as a podcast. So, you know, people didn't know what I was doing at the back end, but I did not want them to know. Well, then uh, I, you know, that happened, let's see, from 2006 to 2009, and I just kind of lost interest and life went on. I had other things going on. I put the podcast thing on the back burner for many years. Well, let's fast forward to 2015. <clears throat> I was dating a girl, and because of my experience with radio and she liked my radio voice and all that, she said, you should do a podcast. And I said, that's funny, because I've actually done a podcast before, and I told her exactly what I told you. And she just kept nagging me over time, over and over and over again, why don't you do a podcast? Why don't you do a podcast? Finally! The reason I did not do a podcast right away is because I did not have the right equipment that I wanted. Yes, I had equipment, but it wasn't the right equipment. In other words, I didn't have a broadcast mic like I have now. I didn't have a soundboard like I have now. I didn't have good headsets. I had a headset, but it wouldn't, you know, I couldn't hear myself through it. If I was going, I kept telling her, if I'm going to do this podcast, I want to do it right. Well, finally, I just got so tired of her nagging me about it, I just did it, which actually turned out in my favor. And I thought, what? okay, see, honestly, if I'm going to do this podcast, what is it that I'm going to talk about? 
Because on my original podcast, I talked about not just politics, but a big variety of topics. Radio, food, what I was doing, what I was up to. Um, I even talked about Hurricane Katrina and related it to my roommate uh, because of the writings on the wall. It's a long story. But uh, the point is, I did a podcast on pretty much anything. And I ran up by friends of mine that were in the broadcast industry. I want to do a different podcast. I don't want to just be one-sided on everything. I, I want to do, do a variety. Well, I shouldn't say one-sided, but I, just, I don't want to just talk about one thing. I don't want to just talk about politics. I don't want to just talk about religion. I want to talk about a variety of topics. And my friends kept saying, no, you've got to narrow it down. No one's going to want to listen to a show like that. And I bought that argument because that is what people want to hear. They want to hear a show on a thing. You, you think about it. You listen to talk radio. You listen to political talk radio. You listen to Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck. Uh, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. You listen to all those people. You're listening to them because you want to hear about politics. You listen to Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, Stephen A. Smith, and there's probably a whole host of others in the sports talk arena. You listen to those people because you want to hear about sports, right? And so I bought that argument, and that argument is valid. So I did, I just started thinking one night, okay, I think I'm going to make this website and give it a go. And I thought really hard, and I thought, well, I know a lot about the LDS community. I can easily do a podcast on that because I know a lot about it. I've been in it all my life. And there was already a show, still is around today, called The Cultural Hall. But I didn't like exactly how the Cultural Hall was doing the podcast. I thought that there needed to be some guests on the Cultural Hall that weren't on or that were on, but they weren't asked the questions I wanted to ask them. So I started filling that void. For example, when I started my podcast, Janelle Tobias was not interviewed on the Cultural Hall at that point. In fact, she wasn't for a long time. And even when she was interviewed... I asked her questions that Richie T. didn't ask her. Now, Richie T. is not a bad person. Richie T. just has a different way of podcasting, or, yeah, podcasting, than I do. Ask, Richie T. doesn't always ask the deeper questions that I ask. If you listen to my podcast, you listen to Richie T.'s, mine are much more conversational, and that's what I wanted. And I started modeling that mentality after a, a broadcaster named John B. Wells. John B. Wells used to do a paid podcast. In other words, you had to go behind a paywall to hear him. But I liked his format. It was very, very, very conversational. He wasn't in a hurry to get things done. And it was great. And I wanted my podcast to be like that. Now, I didn't want any four-hour-long podcasts or any of that. You know, I think the longest I probably did was about a two-hour podcast. That was way too long. I should have cut that down. But that's what, that's what got me into this podcasting arena, again, was because of a girl that I dated. We've broken up since then. But you know what? Her nagging 
did me a lot of good. And it wasn't like I was being pressured into something I did not want to do. I wanted to do it. I just needed that nudge. And even though I started off with the wrong equipment, what I mean by that is cheap equipment, I got my name out there. And so here I am today in 2021, September 30th, doing the podcast. But I've decided to move on, and here's why I've decided to move on. I'll still do the LDS Live podcast, but it may not be as frequent. I decided to move on because I want a bigger audience. This podcast that I did here at the LDS Live podcast, I learned a lot about sound editing. I learned a lot about what goes on behind the scenes in a podcast, dealing with RSS feeds, dealing with companies that carry you, that's, you know, dealing with your main syndicator, dealing with platforms that pick you up. I've learned a lot about that, and I've been able to transfer that into the new podcast. So my point is, yes, I enjoyed doing the LDS Live podcast. Yes, it's still going to be around for probably, I would say, at least six months to a year, at least. And then I'll make a decision whether to keep it around or not. Part of it, too, is I'm so emotionally invested in this podcast, I don't want to give it up yet. And I put so much content out there, I would hate to just take it all down. So I decided to be at peace with myself and listeners. I'll keep it up for at least six months to a year. Just know that you may not get the content. Now, here's what is coming up on the LDS Live podcast, though. Janelle Tobias will once again be my guest on Thursday, next Thursday, October 7th. We're going to talk about general conference. We're going to talk about conference talks because it is conference weekend. And I don't know what's going to happen in conference I'm not one of those people who is into the idea of making predictions. I don't enjoy doing that for a myriad of reasons. One of the reasons is because it's I have tried to predict things that would happen in general conference in the past, and it just didn't happen. Now, having said that, I will tell you what I would like to hear talked about at General Conference more. or I'd like to hear more topics or more discussion on this. As you know, and as you remember, I actually did a podcast about this. Dallin H. Oaks did a talk last year in 2020 about obeying the laws of the land. And I talked about Martin Luther King and how he was he's the darling of civil rights and how he disobeyed a lot of laws. or Well, he disobeyed a few. For example, he held a, a civil rights rally or parade or something like that. And he did it without a permit. Well, if Clive and Bundy did something like that, the press would be all over him and perhaps the church. Where do you draw the line between being civil disobedient, civilly disobedient, and obeying the laws of the land? I'd like to hear more discussions on that at General Conference. When is it okay to be civilly disobedient? When is it okay to stand up for tyranny? When is it okay to stand up for the U.S. Constitution when it's hanging by a thread? 
I also want to hear more about how you can love somebody, but you don't have to condone their actions. We might hear a talk or two about this, but I don't think we talk about it enough. I think we've gotten into this notion, and I think it's human nature, but I think especially over the last five, six, seven years, we've gotten into this notion, oh, I love somebody, therefore I will condone your actions. That's not how God works. When Jesus said, go your way and sin no more, I think he also was talking about repenting. Go repent. Go clean your life up and sin no more and go on your merry way, I think is what he was trying to convey when uh, people were throwing stones at the adulterous woman. I want to hear more talks about that. I want to hear more talks about the proclamation of the family. I want to hear more talks about morality. Sometimes I think General Conference gets a little too fluffy. I want to get right down and dirty with the issues. That's what I would like to see. I'd also like to see the church come out and do away with singles wards. We've talked about that on this podcast. But you know what? I'm tired of talking about COVID. The last few podcasts I've done are about COVID. And quite frankly, I've had it. Now I know that COVID's going to come up again and again and again, and I will be I will have to talk about it. I know. But today, can't we just talk about something else? I think we can. I want to talk to you about my mission and how I got to go on a mission. I think I talked about it briefly before on this podcast, but I've never really gotten into details. And I know that this is a podcast where I talk about what's currently happening in the church and such. But I think it's time that I just talk about me. And I may do a series, you know, a few podcasts just about me. Not because I'm trying to self-indulge myself, but maybe the audience wants to know a little bit more about who is Kevin Williams, the Blind Montana Man. Maybe it's time I talk about me. A little bit. So this first part, I'm going to talk about my mission. Halloween was on a Saturday back in 1998. And I remember getting ready. I remember that day. The phone rang. I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I do remember the phone ringing. And I remember my mom picked it up, and after talking for a while, she told me and my dad that our bishop wants to talk with us the next day. I was not nervous. I just figured there'd be a major change, but I was not nervous, nothing to fear. I didn't do anything questionable or anything like that. In fact, I was wondering if it had to do with uh, with the mission. And actually, that night, as I was getting ready to go out with some friends on Halloween night of 1998, a thought occurred to me, would I be willing to accept something different other than a full-time mission, like a service mission? And I just could not get that thought out of my head.
Of course the answer was no. And I kept saying that to myself every single time. It was either going to be a full-time mission or nothing at all. And I was dead serious about it. So after the church service on Sunday, November 1st, 1998, my, mo my mother and I walked into the bishop's office. My dad couldn't go because he had some church business to take care of. I can't remember what exactly. But my mother and I went into the bishop's office, and the bishop said, I know, uh, I know Kevin has expressed a desire to serve a mission. And I called the mission department, and they said that blind people can't go on missions, or people with, disabled, people with disabilities cannot go on full-time missions, but they can do a service mission. Now, it's not like I was preparing my whole entire life for a mission. Because honestly, from the time I was 13, probably up until the time, oh, probably the summer of 98, or the fall of 98, around there, sometime maybe around September, there were times where I'd waver back and forth whether I even wanted to go on a mission, quite frankly, for various reasons. I finally accepted the idea. I finally decided that I wanted to go on a mission. And I told my bishop that. And so he did some checking around. That's when he called me in. Because a few weeks before that, I told him I wanted to go. In fact, it might have even been a month before that I told him. And we talked about, you know, he probably said some other things. And I could tell it was, my mom said, if you look, you know, my mom said that she could tell it was very hard for the bishop to tell us all this. You know, let's face it, in the LDS culture, it's expected of you to go on a mission if you're a guy and you're normal. Or if you don't have any disabilities or you're not mentally uh, incapacitated or you don't have serious mental issues, it's just expected that you go. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. I don't agree with that mentality. But that is how the culture works. I hope that we're better than that today. But at least back in my day, that's how it was. And I remember there was such a push for everybody to go on missions. You know, how many times have we heard this crap? Oh, I'm not marrying this guy because he's not a return missionary. Well, okay. What if there were reasons he didn't go? But the problem is, uh, when you know, at least in my day, when you were when a woman was in young women's, it was pushed upon them so hard that they should marry a return missionary. And I remember even my dad would say, "How come so and so is not?" He would say to me, "How come so and so is not going on a mission?" I don't know. Ask him. I don't know. Well, why don't you get him to go on a mission? Well, he has his free agency. I'm not going to force him to go or chastise him. It's his choice. You know, we used to talk around and around in circles. It would bug me. That's one of the reasons, actually, I decided to go on a mission. I didn't want to be that guy. 
So that's one of the reasons I decided, I, I just made a decision. I wanted to go. So when I heard this news, you know, it's not like I was preparing my whole life, but I wanted to go at that point. And I was insulted because I had accomplished quite a bit as a blind person. I ran track. I did wrestling. I worked in a cafeteria for a full-time job back in 1996 during the summer. I worked at a radio station in 1997 at the Idaho Commission for the Blind. I was uh, thinking about staying in radio. I accomplished a lot. I, I traveled uh, on the airplane on my own when I was in high school. I boarded the airplane. Well, I had help boarding, but my point is I traveled by myself without anybody next to me, with any, without a friend or whatever. And so to get this news made me very livid. I actually was in tears over it. I was pissed. And I was going to prove the church wrong that, yes, Kevin Williams could be called Elder Kevin Williams. And I did. Let me tell you what happened. After a long con after uh, some conversations with my dad and my mom, I was starting to question it at that point if I even wanted to pursue this. Because if I tried to pursue it, I'd just get turned down. So what would be the point of trying? In fact, I had less of a desire to serve a mission at that point than I did previously when I was a teenager. And so every once in a while, my dad had asked me, well, how's your, uh, how's your prayers going about the mission? Have you thought more about it? And I'd say no, and I didn't really want to tell him the truth. Because in our family, you just went to church, and you that's what you did. You didn't question, you didn't do any of that. In our family, you just were expected to tote the line, as they say, when we were growing up. That was expected. We had to toe the line. So I didn't dare tell him what was on my mind. But no, I hadn't thought about it. In fact, I really thought I would just probably drop the whole entire subject. So when I went to see my bishop, because I had some things I, I wanted to talk to him about, this would have been January of 1999. I went and saw my bishop after a church service, and I told him what was on my mind. I said, Bishop, Going on a mission is not appealing to me anymore. And he understood where I was coming from and talked about obedience and, you know, if we're asked to stand on our head, would we do it? And all those kind of things. Well, that didn't make me feel good at all. Now, my bishop meant well. My bishop was awesome. I liked my bishop then, liked him after the conversation, still like him today. He was doing the best he could under the circumstances, and I'm not trying to brown-nose my bishop, I really think he was doing the best he could. So I, I, had a, I asked him a whole bunch of questions that were not related to my mission, and then I bought the issue to my state president back in April of 1999. That's when things started happening. I told my state president I wanted to go on a mission. 
And I told him about the conversation that my bishop and I had. I don't know if he was aware of the conversation or not. But my state president was starting to get was starting to make things happen. He told me if I know of a mission president that would uh, that would serve that would uh, sponsor me, I could go out on a mission. Well, this renewed my hope, and I told my mom, and the state president told her that too. Now I'm going to tell you some other things. The, the, I, I knew that my mom called the mission president the next day. And she asked if he would sponsor me. This was my great uncle, by the way. My great uncle said, you know what? I would love to. i got to get back to the appropriate channels. I'll see what I can do. A couple weeks went by. And I didn't hear anything. You know, to this day, I don't even remember when I got my mission call. I know it was sometime in either late April or early May. I honestly do not remember. I think it was in late April. So at least a few weeks went by. I didn't hear anything. I got a mission call, and it was an actual mission call. Now, we did not do the thing that... Uh, soon-to-be missionaries do. We didn't do that. We didn't make a big ceremony. I didn't wait for my dad to come home. I didn't do any of that because we weren't sure what the letter entailed. In fact, I was expecting the worst. I was expecting that I was denied a chance to go on a mission. So when I opened up the letter, my mom read it to me. I was actually surprised. I really was. It was a formal mission call. And so I accepted it and went on my mission. Now let me tell you something. Let me back up here because I did not know this part of the story until just a few years ago back in 2017. After my mom made the call, my mission president called the area authority. And again, I didn't know this at the time. I only found this out a few years ago. My mission president made a call to the area authority, and he said, no, Kevin cannot go on a mission. When the mission president asked why, he said, because the insurance will go up. My mission president asked, how much will the insurance go up? And he gave him a quote, and uh, he said, I'll pay for it. And the area authority said, okay, we'll send them out. And that's probably why it took a while to get the mission calls, because he had to talk to the area authority and those type of things. So the agreement was is that I would only be out there for one year, and we wouldn't pressure the mission president, the upcoming mission president, to sponsor me. I'm sure we could have, and maybe he would have given in. I don't know. But... I got what I wanted out of it. I served 11 months, and I had some very spiritual experiences. Let me tell you two of these spiritual experiences. Actually, I'll tell you three. 
I'm not going to use real names here because I don't have their permission to use real names. <clears throat> but we'll call the first person Brother Stevens. Brother Dan Stevens. That's what we'll call him, Dan Stevens. <clears throat> Dan Stevens was... Uh, one of the first investigators I had met while on my mission. And Dan Stevens had to get special permission from the mission president to be baptized because of a crime that he committed. I'm not going to say what it was because I don't have his permission to talk about it. And I'm sure knowing him, he wouldn't appreciate me bringing it up. Let's just say he committed a serious crime and had to have special permission from the mission president. Well, it took a while. It took a few, it took a, let's see, I got out there in July. So it took about two months, I guess a month and a half, and then he was baptized. Let me tell you about this. First of all, I enjoyed going to his house. For some reason, whenever when I, the first time I stepped in his door, I was a, I was amazed at how nice his house was. It was all hardwood. The floor was all hardwood, at least in the dining room and the living room in that area. I don't know about the bedrooms because I never went into any of them. But I did go into the dining room and the living room. It was a very nice house out in the country. And for some reason, I had this vision of me eating a salmon dinner at his house. I never did eat a salmon dinner. What I did eat, though, eventually, months later, was fish and chips. And it was good fish and chips. I'm not talking about the fish and chips that you buy at Applebee's or TGI Fridays. No offense to those of you that like those places, but they don't have the best fish and chips, in my humble opinion. These were good fish and chips. Greasy, but good. In fact, oddly enough, the restaurant was called Greasers. But let me tell you a little something about us working with him. I got to teach a fifth discussion. This is back then when we had the discussions. This is before they came out with the Preach My Gospel manual. I got to teach a fifth discussion. Now, I modified it quite a bit because, honestly, I'd never read the fifth discussion before. I wasn't expecting him to have me teach it. I knew what it was about because my companion told me what it was about, but I didn't know exactly what it was, so I just started talking off the top of my head about Jesus Christ and you know how to be more like the Savior. Told him that I like uh, a lot of music and I sometimes wonder what Jesus Christ would think if he heard some of the music I like. And I really felt the Spirit very strong. In fact, that was the first time that I actually felt the Spirit on my mission. That was the first time. Um, I also, uh, we also taught him the sixth discussion, and we went to his house a few times after that, uh, my companion and I, 
But the baptism happened, oddly enough, Saturday, September 11th, 2000. Or no, I'm sorry, Saturday, 2011, 2000, and, or no, Saturday, September 11th, 1999. What a coincidence. September 11th, 1999 to September 11th, 2001. Anyway, during the baptism, not during the, not during the talks before the baptism, but during the baptism, the Spirit was extremely powerful. And I'm not joking, folks. The Spirit was extremely powerful. I can't describe to you how powerful it was, but it was a very powerful spiritual experience. I remember coming home after the baptismal service, after we had had refreshments and all those things, I remember coming home to my apartment telling my companion, I want to go out proselyting, never mind the fact that it was probably about 10.30 at night. I didn't care. Of course we didn't. But gosh, I sure wanted to. Because I was on such a spiritual high, a high that I had never experienced. Now, I felt the spirit before my mission, yes. But I don't think I felt it to the degree that I did that night looking back. I wanted to talk to everybody about it, and I did. I wrote it in my journal. I, I, uh, I recorded it in my journal, uh, played that uh, particular journal entry to my parents back home. I told people about it at a dinner appointment we had. I believe that was on a Monday night after the baptism. I was on a major spiritual high for a while. And from then up until about November, I really, I guess, yeah, I guess it was probably November, maybe late October. I, there was a, at that point, I didn't want to leave my mission. I really enjoyed it very thoroughly. Let me just tell you about another spiritual experience that I had with Brother Dan Stevens. It was after his baptism. My companion and I went over there to teach him because we used to do follow-up discussions, the new member discussions. I don't remember what new member discussion we were on. In fact, I don't even know that we got to any of the new member discussions. I think what we did, if I remember right, is talk to him about the Aaronic priesthood that he was going to receive, which he never showed up for. That's another story, but he was supposed to receive the Aaronic priesthood. My companion read him a manual about it, read him something about it. And then in the prayer, I he wanted me to give the closing prayer. And instead of calling him by his first name, I called him Brother Stevens. Why? Because I was guided to, I was asked to by the Spirit of the Lord. After the prayer, Dan said, Elder Williams, you are the only one who has called me Brother Stevens. Thank you. I told him the Spirit led me to, the, to that decision because it was true. Let me tell you about another spiritual experience I had.
Let's go to, I believe it was March of 2000, March or February of 2000. We were at a member's, we were at an investigator's house. Well, no, actually this person was a member, but an investigator was there. And I was getting tired of the fact that all we did was we, we, when we went over to this member's house was hang out and watch TV. I was annoyed because I really thought that we ought to be more productive. In fact, there was one time we went over there that I felt super uncomfortable being there. To this day, I don't know why. I have an idea, but I don't know the ultimate reason. But I felt very strongly that this particular night, we needed to be very productive in what we were doing. And so I stepped my foot down. Actually told the member to turn off the TV. And I actually said, we're going to get down to business here. And the investigator was with us. And I talked to her about First Nephi, Chapter 1. I have been born in goodly parents. Now, this person, I don't think, pro I, just based on my observations, based on conversations, I don't know that she had the best mom out there. But I didn't know that at the time. I just felt inspired to talk about First Nephi chapter 1, particularly the verse where it said, I, Nephi, have been born into goodly parents. And so I talked about that. How have your parents been good? What have they taught you? What has your mom taught you? I seriously had this image in my mind of being a school teacher, helping somebody with their homework while everyone else was off doing their own thing. Me and a student were staying back in the classroom, and I was helping this student with the homework. That's the image that I had in my mind. So we talked about her, uh, her mom, and we talked about some of the lessons from then on when we went over to that member's house, it was not watching TV. It was talking about the gospel. It got to the point where we no longer went to that member's house. We went to her house, the investigator's house. She was living with her mom at the time. Her and her sister were living with her mom. And we went to that investigator's house. And... We started talking more and more and more about the gospel. So we're talking from a span from January to June of 2000. Finally, she decided to get baptized. We had some hurdles to uh, to we had some hurdles to overcome, but eventually she got baptized and she ended up going on a mission herself. Unfortunately, and I say unfortunately very heavily, I do not say unfortunately lightly. Unfortunately, this particular individual is no longer with us. But I see the progression that she made in her life. I see what happened. I see what she gave up. It was hard, hard, hard. We had to have many lessons about giving up. In fact, there was one time where we actually had a lesson at the church because none of us wanted to be interrupted at her house, at her apartment, I guess you could say. That's how serious of the lessons got on occasion. Unfortunately, a lot of people do get baptized 
and they go back to their old ways, some sooner than others. And I'm not going to lie, I think very few people actually stick with the church once they get baptized. Yes, there are a few, but I think if you were to uh, write, if you were to add up the statistics, I think the numbers are far and few between. And I'm basing this on observations and other stories that I've heard. In fact, most people that I knew on my mission who were as solid as a rock left the church. And these were people who had been bishops, stake presidents, or they were on the stake presidents, uh, they were on the stake high council. Bishops, people that were in the church for about 10 years or so. But I can't help but look at the progress that they've made. And even if they went back to their old ways, they still remember what it was like when they gave up drugs and alcohol. Now, I'm not saying everybody who left the church got back into drugs and alcohol, but I'm saying look at all the things that they gave up and look at that time period before they left the church. I just thought it, I just felt uh, very inspired to talk to you about this. I'm tired of talking about COVID. I have my opinions about it. You know what they are. I'll, I'm sure we'll have to talk about it again on this podcast because it's the never-ending subject right now. But I just want to take a break from COVID. I want to take a break from talking about the vaccine. I want to take a break from all of that. And I just felt very inspired to talk about my mission and how I got out there. I had to fight to get out there. I'm glad I went. Now, am I perfect? No. Have I fallen uh, quite a bit since my mission? Well, yeah, depending on how you define fallen, sure. Have I done things that I'm not proud of since my mission? Absolutely. You better believe it. But there's one thing that I cannot deny. There were times where the spirit was very powerful. Was every day a spiritual day? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But, gosh, when those spiritual experiences happened, there was no denying that God exists. There was no denying that the church is true. There may be questions I have about the church. There may be things that go on in the church that I don't like, which we have talked about. You know, as it pertains to COVID, as it pertains to singles wards, whatever. But I do believe that Joseph Smith did see God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I do. And I say these things, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I didn't want to be a, a prayer, but I thought maybe I should bear my testimony out here. I will talk to you later, folks.